0: Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlin, your host for Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV. Our next segment is going to be with our good friend Elliot Greenblatt, who is with AARP, our monthly Fraud Watch segment. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call at 802-244-1777. We enjoy getting your calls, even though it's on a tough topic about things that may have happened in fraud world that you can help us identify and uh, let our listeners know uh, more about it so that everybody can uh, be wary about all the fraud that's out there. And with that, I welcome back to the show Elliot Greenblatt. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Brad. It's uh, good to be here again. And I want to thank you for your introductory comment about uh, people sharing their experiences because, it's critical that folks in the area know what's happening, and the best way is going to be word of mouth. And obviously, being on WDDB, there's a lot of work and a lot of people listening. So uh, I really appreciate that comment.
0: Well, it's uh, a credit to you. You stimulate a lot of phone calls to us, uh, Elliot, and we appreciate that as well. Uh, so. Last month, we we hit on uh, a number of topics, and I don't know. We we got a lot of calls, and is there anything that we should revisit there about uh, things that we didn't maybe hit hard enough?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there, there, is, there are a couple things. Uh, one, you know, I'd like to go back to a comment that I made about New Year's resolution, because that was our kind of focus point, and that is that, you know, a lot of people – look at the New Year's, a chance to make a change, and uh, they make resolutions like I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to be a nicer person this year. And the reality is that many people fail at that, and the reason why is those types of changes require behavior changes. And the better way to approach it for a doable New Year's Resolution is doing something that's basically a once-and-done thing. I mentioned get a credit freeze. Go to the major uh, credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and Novus and TransUnion. Uh, You can do it online. And set a freeze, which prevents people from seeing your credit reports unless you want them to. Uh, It's a once-and-done. And you can lift it at any time. It's a free process very easy to do and uh, another thing that I would really like to focus to is that uh, we are inundated with the idea of passwords, that all of our accounts have passwords and the reality of the password is it's only as secure as how few times you use it. Uh, So the best thing to do is not repeat passwords. Have a unique password for every account. It's a difficult thing to do, though, because we like to cheat. We like to use the same password because it's easy to remember. Uh, the best way to handle that is purchase a password manager. It's a once-and-done thing. You can add passwords, beginning with your most frequently used ones. It stores them in a safe place, and you only need one password password. Access the manager. So I, I think those are the probably the biggest takeaways that I would say from uh, the New Year's resolutions that we were uh, addressing last time.
0: Yeah, and I want to mention one other thing that we talked about a little bit last month, and it's uh, almost counterintuitive because, and I'm I'm referring to empty your wallet. Uh, can you talk about that? Because people are sure. probably have wallets um, like mine that are so big they can hardly sit down.
1: Well, yeah. When uh, I kind of uh, lump this in losing weight, and you can begin losing weight by not carrying as many things in a wallet or in a purse as, as you would probably have. For example, uh, you do not need to have your social security card with you. There's no reason to do that. Put it in a safe place at home. Uh, you'll probably never take it out to use it. Uh, Medicare, senior citizens who are on Medicare, you do not need to have a Medicare card with you 24-7. Uh, if, you know, the excuse some people will use is, well, I carry it because if I'm in an accident, uh, and I'm in the hospital, they're going to want my medical information. Yeah, they will. But you know what? They're going to give you treatment first uh, if you're in an emergency. So don't carry your Medicare card. Uh, another thing that you probably should take a look at is how many credit cards do you have in your wallet. Probably you only use one or two. And if you're carrying three or four credit cards, uh, that opens you up to potential of identity theft if somebody happens to steal your wallet of first. So reducing those things limits your threat. It, it's an easy thing to do, and, again, it's a once and done. Once you've done it, you don't have to keep going back and checking it again.
0: And I'm gathering that the significance, for instance, with Social Security card is you lose your wallet. Somebody has your Social Security number, which is really the gateway to so many things that we we have to identify ourselves is that right?
1: It, that's exactly correct. And the uh, the issue that comes up is, for the most part, social security numbers are pretty secure. But a lot of your other data isn't. So the amount of information that's out there uh, about you tagged to a social security number can give people entry into, for example, your bank accounts. Or allow somebody to create a new bank account in your name that you won't even know about. And that actually happened to my wife several years ago. So uh, you don't need that kind of information available for a potential uh, identity theft
0: okay so we we're talking with Elliot Greenblatt with aARP on fraud watch and if you want to join the conversation if you have an experience that you or someone you know uh, went through uh, that you you are willing to share with us we, we you know we like to help uh, show that you know these things happen and and how we can try to prevent them give us a call at 802 two four four 1777 the, the only other thing I was, uh, I'm reminded of, social media obviously is just this gigantic thing out there and two things that we've talked about over the, over the last year, Elliot, one is you get a lot of promotion of product on, on Facebook and, and other things that are, seem too good to be true. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. Uh, the, uh, one caveat that I think I mention every time I do a presentation, uh, and I do a lot of them, is that uh, social media is a very dangerous place. And when you go into social media and you see these offers, pop-up ads, that have a fantastic price on something you may have been looking for uh too good to be true. You know, If it looks like it's too good to be true, 90% off on an item, uh, you know that that's not reality. But the problem is we see those numbers and we get taken in by them and then they take us. So uh, whenever you see something that looks really great and, boy, I'd love that, do some background checking. Find out about what company's offering it and Google the name of the company or, you know, do a a web search and see if there's any history to it. Uh, If there is or uh, there's a problem that shows up, you'll find it very quickly online. So uh, beware of those super great offers. The other thing we've seen, and I I just uh, actually dealt with a a case locally in the Brattleboro area, is getting uh, an offer on social media and... Then saying, I'm going to get it, and then find that after you order the thing, uh, it doesn't arrive. And then how do you get your money back? Uh, it becomes very difficult if the company is no longer in existence. So yeah, uh, just be aware of what you see online.
0: And I, I will cite uh, an example I've seen recently over the last several months on Facebook where someone I absolutely don't know if i've made a post public someone is coming in and saying something like oh you're this is just amazing what you've done here and i've been trying to friend you but i uh haven't been able to get through can you friend me kind of thing and and i i block and delete them right away because the language is so uh, you know it's pretty easy to detect but are you seeing a lot of that
1: yeah uh- and that same line, uh, a number of years ago when Facebook first became popular, a, a lot of folks went out and, you know, I'm going to see how many friends I can make. And they started collecting friends who were people that they actually didn't even know, but people said, you'd be my friend. So here's uh, an average person that has friended eight or nine hundred people. All that does is it allows. That eight or nine hundred to access your information because you've made them a friend. Uh, it's a dangerous process, and if you have uh, a situation like that where you friended many, 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 many people, go into your account and delete the ones you absolutely don't know, and you'll find that ninety percent of them are probably people you don't know.
0: Um, Elliot, let's. Transition to some of our new topics uh, of concern uh, for our listeners, uh, maybe starting with uh, utility companies. It sounds like that's pretty benign, but it's it's another threat, huh?
1: Well, typically in the winter we see an uptick in the number of scams that involve utility companies. So temperatures are down. People rely more on the power grid and suddenly you get a phone call from your power company saying, uh, this is Green Mountain Power calling you, and we've noticed that there's a problem with your account, and until it's resolved, we will be shutting off your power at midnight tonight. Uh, It's a pretty scary thing for people who uh, rely on electricity, and it's a totally bogus situation because... It's illegal for a power company to deny service to somebody unless they've gone through a fairly long process, uh, including written notification. So if you get a call from your power company saying, uh, we're going to shut you off tonight, uh, hang up. If there's no use in staying on the line. Uh, if you do stay on the line, the next clue is they will tell you you can take care of that issue right away by giving some uh, digital credit uh, gift card numbers, for example. you know, Go out to your local CVS or Walgreens or Walmart and pick up $500 worth of Apple gift cards. Reality, again, nobody out there in the business world accepts Apple gift cards except Apple. So uh, know that that's a scam. I think you know if you if you proceed that way, you'll be safe. You can contact your electric company, tell them that you've got this call, so that they're at least aware and might be able to send out an alert to other utility users.
0: And do you have uh, do you know what the process is if, if somebody actually is in heavy arrears? Do do they get a written letter first and then? What happens? How how do we differentiate from the real and the unreal? Elliot, you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah,
1: you you differentiate. uh, Well, first of all, the the approach that will be taken by the power company is to notify you in writing that there is a problem. They're not going to send you an email. They're not going to text you, and they won't call you unless you've already contacted them and they're replying to you.
0: Okay. So that's
1: yeah. the that's the easy way to, to pick up on that.
0: Okay, great. Uh, transitioning to everybody's favorite topic, the IRS. What's going on there?
1: Well, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of folks sitting around waiting for their 1099s to appear in the mail, Uh you just are chomping at the bit because you love IRS so much that you want to make them happy. Uh, criminals know that. They know that we uh, we say the letters IRS and people tend to bristle or at least get very concerned. That's what the con-, con artists are trying to play on, that you hear IRS, you're willing to listen and then do what they say. And typically what they're going to do is either ask you for money or ask you for information. IRS, again, will not ask you in that manner. If they want information from you, you'll receive a USPS letter saying that there's an issue we'd like to resolve. Uh, there's not going to, They don't threaten you. They're not going to say, you know, we're going to take away all your money. If you listen to the ads on TV, it sounds that way. but. The reality of it is you're going to get an inquiry, you're going to be given time to respond to the inquiry, uh, which I recommend you do, even if you say, I will look up the information and get back to you, so that they have a record in writing of your responding. But they are not going to uh, demand something, they are not going to threaten you with arrest, and they're not going to accept gift cards.
0: Okay. Uh, so same thing as utilities. You're, you're, there's a process and you're not going to get, uh, phone calls unless something has started with you, uh, allowing it to start.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So February 14th is coming up. Uh, I don't think I'm going to hurt my back bringing Valentine's into the house, but there are other problems and romance scams. Is that right? Uh,
1: Yeah, This is a prime time of the year for criminals to do something that we call catfishing. And it's just a a phrase that uh, has been adopted for romance scams. We see more romance scams in the works during this time of year than at any other time of the year in terms of them starting. Uh, Romance scam is simply uh, somebody who is looking for a relationship. It may be because of a trauma or tragedy in their lives. It may be simply, it's time for me to get romantic with somebody. And the most frequent way that people address this is they go into so-called dating websites, and they try to meet somebody who's similar. Criminals are really good at creating fake profiles. They, we call sometimes we call them synthetic because they'll take some real information, pair it with a stock photo on the internet, and project themselves as someone else. A romance scam is not like the IRS scam or the utility scam, which is kind of it happens, it goes away. The romance scams build over time, and it's not unusual for a romance scam to take three months. Six months a year for the criminal to work his way to the point where the relationship is blooming. So we caution people not to, you know, take things for face value. That if you are interested in creating a relationship, do some back work on it. Make sure the person you're contacting is a real person. You can do that online fairly easily. Uh, if the person you're talking to wants to move the conversation away from, let's say, the dating site or a social media site, that's a sure sign that this is going to be a scam. Uh, The approach is get out of the public, continue the relationship, and after a while, when the relationship appears to be solid, start making requests for money. Usually, it starts with a very little bit, and it increases. The other key to this is availability of the person to meet in person. If you keep getting uh, some kind of a uh, an excuse, well, I'm overseas, I'm on military duty in the Middle East, I'm on an oil rig in the uh, Gulf of Mexico, and I can't get out for another two months, uh I think that's a sure sign that we're talking about a scam. Uh, the, the other thing I just want to say quickly is that people who are involved in romance scams basically become very, very, very defensive when challenged. And so uh, a, a relative, uh, a, uh, a sibling uh, trying to intervene is looked on as hostile. So if you see this happening to somebody who keeps talking about this great romantic interest and you want to help out, your best way to help out is to identify somebody who that potential victim has that they trust inherently. Could be a clergyman, could be a physician, could be an attorney, but somebody is really well respected and trusted. And ha- explain the situation to them, and let them do the intervention. Yeah, it'll it, be a lot safer on the relationship side because if you don't want to alienate the person,
0: right? It, it's it's quite amazing because this person is madly in love with an electronic fraud. Um, yet, what you're saying to to our listeners is that. The, the electronic fraud person will groom for months and months and months and know exactly how to, how to come into somebody's heart. Is that what you're saying?
1: That, that's exactly it. And, you know, the, uh, the other thing people don't realize is that in the scam world, that's a scam, but that the person involved in creating the scam is not just scamming one person. They get off the phone with the first person and they're calling another one, and they're calling another one. This is a day job. Wow. And you know, they, they work, you know, if they work an eight-hour day or a 10-hour day, it's one call after another. And mm-hmm. they're into psychology enough that they can determine at what point to jump in and make the request, but also at what point they know they're not getting the message across that they want to get across. Yeah. Yeah. Or- You're dealing with people who are well-versed in psychology.
0: We're coming down to the end of the segment, Elliot, but please tell us how people can get in touch with you and and learn more about these things.
1: Certainly. Uh, The best way to get in touch with me is to email me. My email address is egreenblott, and that's spelled out E-G-R-E-E-N-B-L-O-T-T, at AARP.org, uh, if you have questions, uh, we do, our program does presentations all over, uh, the state of Vermont, into New Hampshire, down into Massachusetts. So if you're interested in having your group receive a presentation from us, and we have eight of them, uh, eight different presentations, contact me again, egreenblock at AARP.org.
0: And remember listeners, there's no shame in this. This is just protecting yourself, your loved ones. Uh, as Elliot mentions, if you've got someone who is on their computer a lot, they, they seem to be involved in a romance. It, it could be legitimate, but be cautious out there because there's a lot, a lot going on. Uh, so Elliot, um, once again, we thank you for, for joining us and we'll be back with you next month
1: you the first Monday
0: of March. Sounds great. Thank you so much. I want to mention uh Vermont Viewpoint tomorrow. I will be hosting uh beginning with Greg Ranallo, who is a uh with Teachers Tree Service. And uh he's an arborist and uh twenty-five years of experience with uh, a lot of Vermont trees, the problems and in management, including state parks. And then, uh, 10 o'clock, Paula Munier's joining me. She's writer, editor, teacher, and agent. Uh, this is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, Waterbury, Vermont. We'll be back right after this. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host of Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont driving in from St Albans this morning uh I guess it's a snowbow it was looked like a rainbow but it's February and it was absolutely gorgeous in the Richmond area kind of started around Cochrane's when I saw it in the mist from the uh from Cochrane snowmaking and there must have been a lot of humidity in the air the sun was shining uh and it was absolutely beautiful so uh, I hope a rainbow's coming into your life today on this Monday and, uh, that in the February winter blues, uh, things are going okay for you. My next guest is a good friend of mine and, uh, great writer and, uh, lives up in the Northeast Kingdom, observes life each day. Welcome to the show, Brett Ann Stanchu.
2: Thank you, Brad. What a generous introduction. It's such a pleasure to be back on your show again.
0: Well, it's great having you back. And as one of my mentors says, it has the benefit of being the truth, which is always helpful, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Brad. Greatly appreciated.
0: So you're um, up in the Northeast Kingdom. Um, I want to start just um, for readers or for listeners who, who sort of don't know your history. You have... Uh, You started with a book, Hidden Views. I think that was your first book, and then Unstitched after that. Uh, Is that right? And and can you tell us a little bit about the books?
2: Yeah, sure. So my first book uh, is Hidden View. It's a novel, and it's published by an independent press out of Brattleboro, known as Green Writers Press. And I published this book back in 2016. I think I was even the first adult novel that D.D. Cummings published. And since then, she's gone on and published many Vermont writers, but but also many writers outside of Vermont, um, all the way from poetry to nonfiction to children's books. And that was it. The book Hidden View is really about it's it's a story about farming and about marriage, and about the complexity of farming in Vermont and relationships and how they relate to the land. So in the book, I actually consider the farm actually a character. It's that profound. Um, And then my second book that I published that was in 2021 was with Steerforth Press out of uh, Lebanon, New Hampshire. And that's both a memoir about my life and it's also a story about contemporary Vermont. And it's really about addiction and about the stories of people in one way or another who are struggling and sometimes overcoming addiction
0: yeah so i'll return to hidden view for a moment it it's a very strong emotional compelling uh read uh, it's real life and and really it's a i guess i would call it a brave a brave write did you feel like it was a brave write for you or oh,
2: that's, I, I, that's interesting to hear you say that so i wrote this book um, I was a young mother at the time. I wrote it over a number of years of um, being on a very isolated part of Vermont. Being a sugar maker with a, 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 was just our family business. And I wrote the book purely because I wanted to write it. I wrote it with my whole heart, and then I rewrote it and rewrote it as, as deeply and profoundly as I could. I, I'm glad to hear that because it, it's really the story of a woman and her children.
0: Yeah, yeah. And... What happens when you know the final uh, page is written? It goes into publication. Uh, what happens to your soul when that happens?
2: You know, it's that's such an interesting. It's such an interesting question that writers have very different thoughts on and very different experiences with. With me, when I wrote the book, I wanted to write the very best book I could, and. When I did, I considered the book on some level separate from myself. I wrote this book, and it became a book on its own. But I also realized that every character in the book is also me as well, too. So it's always it always tugs at my heartstrings when someone says that they liked reading my book, that they enjoyed reading it. And it's also profoundly gratifying to me to hear that from people who I've never known.
0: Yeah, and... You know, there's this saying in the world, we're only, um, you know, about our secrets. We, 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 we as a society, we have a lot of secrets. But when you take those secrets and share, you, you're doing, it seems to me, two things, Brett. You're, you're dealing with your own, um, cathartic journey, but you're also helping others. Did, did it feel that way as well?
2: Very much so. So for, for listeners who haven't read the book, Um, There are some really scary things in the book. Um, There's alcoholism, there's domestic abuse, there's a fair amount of violence. Um, But for me, I wrote about the things that were very hardest because at a certain point I realized that was the kind of writer I wanted to be, that I had to write about them. But by writing about them and putting them out into the world, it also made me realize that those terrifying things were not mine alone those details that I had are mine, but they're also very human experiences. So it becomes a very unifying experience to release a book like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Hidden View, it's a, a terrific book by Brett Ann Stanchu. And then I had heard about uh, your your second um, book, and which is Unstitched, uh, picked it up. Read it and and definitely wanted to meet you, which we did. We actually we yeah. got to share pizza or something in Hardwick. Yep. Um, because for me, it was uh, you struck me at a number of levels. One, it, as you said, it's about addiction. Um, give us a little background, though, on 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 the, the the main character of the book and and what propelled you to write the book from that.
2: Right. So. The way I usually introduce Unstitched is it's not a book I originally set out to write. It's a book that kind of, it came to me unbidden. And at the time, I I was recently divorced, raising two kids, and I was working as a librarian in a one-room library in Woodbury. And someone started breaking in the library after hours, and this is all in, in the first chapter that's kind of the catalyzing event for this book. And eventually what happened is this person who broke in, I I was, a, I was afraid. I'd, I had heard through the grapevine and I believed it was credible that this person was suffering from addiction. And eventually what happened is this, this person, in a very tragic and unfortunate way, committed suicide. And for me it was it was shocking. I I mean, it was much more profoundly shocking for this person's family, for many people in town. But for me, it was also a real wake-up call in regard to what could I have done differently, and what were my presuppositions, what was the stigma that I held against a person I didn't even know. And this set me off on a journey to really try to understand opioid addiction, but also to look more profoundly at myself and at my alcohol issues that I had never, ever publicly admitted before. So it's a twofold book, both in terms of educating myself, which I take the reader on, but also looking profoundly at myself and maybe encouraging people to do the same for themselves, too.
0: So do you ever sleep well at night? or? Uh...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually sleep very little, I'll be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh... But commendably, you've taken on things and shared them out, uh, which I, I do think is very brave. You, in the book, um, you start researching, uh, addiction and getting a better understanding. And part of that was, uh, Greg and Don Tatro was, was a big part of the book too.
2: Right. So, I guess I should say right up front that all the people who I reached out to to interview um, were just incredibly generous, whether they worked in the medical field or in the criminal justice field or were in recovery, were unbelievably generous and giving with their time. And Greg and Don Tatro in Johnson, who now have started Jenna's Promise, I met them kind of early on that journey. Their daughter had also tragically passed just recently when I first met them. And Jenna's promise was really just a promise at the time. The church they had bought was just filled with dust. I mean, they were just starting to clear things out. Um, But they spoke very profoundly and very movingly about their daughter, and all of their action has been really just profoundly to help other people. They're, They're an amazing couple. For anyone who's not familiar with them, I encourage them to really look into what's happening in Johnson
0: so they uh the tetros and you both had this uh cathartic moment in in really hard very very hard way and i want to acknowledge that yeah that there was a difference between the addicted and the addiction is that oh,
2: absolutely i i mean it, absolutely and one of the biggest things that that i really learned in writing this book was i had totally misunderstood addiction and I had really misunderstood the disease of addiction and how disease can be very, very complicated. And that I, when when I was struggling with alcoholism, I only saw myself as a bad person. I really didn't understand the complexity of disease. And that that's one thing that I had, that I learned. Um, to really, if we are going to move forward that we really need to under to open up our hearts to have some kind of compassion for people. No one wants to suffer from addiction. That It's just not the way the world works.
0: Yeah, and certainly it's out there in a big way. We are chatting this morning now with Brett Ann Stanchu uh, up in the Northeast Kingdom. Uh, a couple of great books she's written, uh, Hidden View and then Unstitched. The uh, Brett, how can people find these books uh, so that they can enjoy them as well?
2: Um, I think Unstitched is in most of the local bookstores. I would first encourage people always to buy from the independent bookstores. Um, and then they're also available on uh, Amazon as well, too. Okay. Uh, and uh, Hidden View is also available through the Green Writers Press website. You can also look at my website and uh, find those links. Um, and my website, my blog that I think we're maybe going to talk about is stonysoilvermont.com.
0: And we are going to talk about it. Um, so <laughs> how, how did that come about? And, and you've, you've built an audience. People are sort of watching your journey. Uh...
2: Yeah. So I started this blog, well, longer ago than I'd like to think, probably 2015, probably eight years ago. And I started it because I was reading Ben Hewitt's blog a fair amount. Um, I think he was benhewitt.com or something. And uh, I was about to publish my book, Hidden View, and I decided I needed a website. And then at the same time, I'm like, I'm going to write a blog. I'd never done that, and I I just taught myself how to use WordPress. So for anyone who's interested in starting a blog – It's not that hard to do. It takes a little bit of like just tenacity to sort of figure it out. Um, And then I just got going from there. And I've kind of just learned along the way as I've gone.
0: And what's your, do you have a set day or are you, are you disciplined to a format or?
2: So, um, I usually publish like every two or three days. Yeah, I think it might make more sense, honestly, to just like pick a Monday and go with it. Um, But pretty much every every three days or so, I would say right around there. And the blog is pretty much about it's about the subtitle that is why writing matters, but it's really about writing in Vermont and what it's like for me to live in Vermont right now. And then I weave in often things that I'm reading. So, like, I've, I've woven in a lot of poetry in the winter, particularly. Like, I've put in a lot of Japanese haiku. I think it's really beautiful. And I never try to make them really long. I don't think people are really interested. It's not a good format to write, like, a you know, a 4,000-word post or something. But the interesting thing about it is when you write a blog, then you get connected to this whole other world. So some of the people who read the blog are my parents or my neighbors or people in town. But, like, there's a woman in New Zealand who regularly writes me all the time. And then there's an, an, an ER doctor down in South Carolina who periodically sends me books. He's like, I think you may like this. I think you may like this. It's kind of exciting.
0: Oh, it's very exciting. Uh, let's jump back, though. Why writing matters?
2: Yeah. So I, I – I'm a big proponent of writing, obviously, and a big proponent of reading. And I think one of the really neat things about writing a blog is it opens up the door to a lot of things. And I think people are often afraid to write. They feel like things need to be like set in stone or we have this sort of English teacher mentality that you're going to be graded. But the exciting thing about writing is it connects you to the world and it opens up the door to so many other people but at the same time like I was talking about before is it also helps you to be more reflective about your life too and it's not something that ever has to be static you can just it's an ongoing process like our life is an ongoing process
0: so i'm looking at some titles i'll share with our listeners roadside view january wonder and diligence uh, <laughs> the true religion the religion of snow the sound of one hand clapping revisited. Uh, you're all. I mean, it's just all this tremendous um, inspiration that is just part of your daily life. But you're observing.
2: There is an awful lot of that. Is also kind of my my mo. Honestly, I I am a, a very curious person. I do spend a lot of time looking at the world and thinking about things. And I feel like with writing a blog, unlike writing a book where you want an arc and a climax, some sort of resolution, with a blog, a lot of it's like, here's something curious that's happening. Here's a bit of a little piece of life that I've noticed here. And it's meant to be really wholly enjoyable.
0: And are you like the Sherlock Holmes or the Nancy Drew? Uh, Could you have been (laughs) an investigative detective as well?
2: Actually, thought that that would be a good choice for me. Actually, to be a detective that way. It. I'll just. I'm sharing a little bit here, but my children say I'm incredibly nosy, and I tend to say it's just incredibly curious. I, I'm really interested in people's stories, and I'm interested in the details of them.
0: Well, your children took away my next question. I was <laughs> going to try to define that myself, but I, <laughs> stay tuned, readers, and we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> So, what about when? I mean, obviously, you've ri- you've written very bravely with Hidden view, Hidden View. You mm-hmm. you wrote very bravely with Unstitched. You you went through this transformation of of sort of revealing that not only w- were you observing uh, addiction and depression and things with somebody else and trying to identify that whole emotion, but then doing an inner look at at your own drinking and stuff. Um, Very bravely, are these? uh, Do you consider these uh, these posts uh, the same process?
2: Absolutely, I really do. And I mean, the thing, as as you know about sobriety, is that also doesn't end. That's also a never-ending story. And so, for me to hold on to that, it requires that sort of consistent reflection. But whether I was sober or not that same sort of reflection is also, it's part of being who I am as a person. I'm very interested in changing and growing.
0: Yeah. And when you finish a piece, which I'm, is it, a are these spontaneous writings? Do they, and then you, you send and it's gone?
2: Yeah. Then I send and gone. I, I, I do think about them, Um I do edit them over. I'm, I'm a pretty heavy editor of myself. I do cut, and again, it's very good discipline as a writer. And then I post them. So if you subscribe to my blog, and it's really easy to do and it's free, um, then you'll get an email. Or it's also just public. You can just log into my website. There's no fee for any of that. It's 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 open there. I, and occasionally, I have taken down a blog post. Every now and then. I, some members of my family have strongly discouraged me from writing certain things about them, and I feel I have to respect those boundaries now. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's Stony Soil, Vermont, and this is Brett Ann Stanchu. Have you had moments uh, the next morning, so to speak, where you, you take a look at the blog and slap your forehead or, or not too often?
2: occasionally. I mean, I feel like partly about writing a blog is, or partly about writing generally, you don't want to get stale. You want to really push the boundaries, and you want to write about fresh things. And sometimes those things are scary, or sometimes they are really uncomfortable. I was never the kind of writer that wanted to just be in a comfort zone. I am the kind of writer that will tread out on thin ice, and then occasionally I have to dial it back in. but. I believe going out on thin ice, sometimes the view is really worth it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I, with you on that, and I, I think it's important for all of us to to share in this way to the extent that we can emotionally. Yeah. Um, I want to talk briefly about another writing that you've been involved in and, and contributed to, the Vermont Almanac. Can, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that?
2: Oh, yeah. I, I love the Almanac. Uh, the Almanac – the Vermont Almanac you can find in all the independent bookstores, often prominently displayed now. This is the fourth volume that just came out this fall. And this is the brainchild of pretty much Dave Mance and Patrick White, kind of their board. But it's a collection of Vermont writers through the year. So it goes October through September. And it talks about um, its voices of and for the rural Vermont and so there's personal essays in there. Every month has something about weather, um, different parts of industry, a whole collection of, uh, some of it's just like how to, more factual, and some of it's insightful and personal and thoughtful essays. It's very eclectic. Um, and it's a very, for me, it's a very exciting, um, publication to contribute to. And then I've done some editing for it as well. So, if your readers are interested in submitting, because the Almanac's always looking for new writers too, then um, the easiest way to find that is online. It's vermontalmanac.org or check out a copy in a library or pick up a copy at a bookstore.
0: Awesome. And uh, I, I have a copy of it, and it's a remarkable documentary of Vermont. And like you said, it's very eclectic. It's. It's all over the place, which makes it even more interesting because you can just (laughs) open a page and find something and go, whoa, that's amazing.
2: And it's a beautiful – it is also incredibly beautifully put together. The artwork is stunning. The layout is unreal. Um, And I hope you contribute to it as well this year.
0: I hope to. Um, It's on my to-do list. It's like, yeah, it is. (laughs) So Brett Ann Stanchu, author of Unstitch, Hidden View – Stony Soil Vermont is her blog. Uh, you can find her in the uh, the Almanac. And, uh, Brett, thanks so much for being with me. Thank
2: you so much for having me, Brad.
0: A pleasure. And we'll have you back. This okay. is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV, Waterbury, Vermont. I'll be back tomorrow with two great guests and look forward to... To being in your life, listeners, thank you for that. We can't do radio without you.